0: Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. I'm going to do a listener-suggested podcast this morning, a very interesting topic, and a very fine song by Queen called Jealousy off the jazz album. Beautifully sung and well worth having a listen to. But uh, this is the question of envy or jealousy, and it subsumes a number of other questions around emotional matters that I think are very interesting. So I'll give you my two cents worth, actually, uh, based on podcast donation metrics, which are fixed like physics into the stone of the universe, uh, my 50 cents worth. So I think that this will be helpful to you. Uh, jealousy is quite a uh, powerful feeling, and it is a, a feeling that is, uh, uh, like all feelings, can, be, uh, can, go, can go either way. Right? It can be a good thing or a bad thing. It all depends on the actions that you take to generate the feelings, and also depends on the actions that you take as a response to the feelings. That's how you manage feelings, as I mentioned before, through action. So I'm going to um, put out a couple of questions, and I'll give you my very brief response to them, and we'll go into the more detail. So I, uh, a poster on the board, and there is a section on the uh, freedomainradio.com forward slash B-O-A-R-D, where you can put in podcast show suggestions, uh, topics that you'd like run through the chattering big Forehead of Steph, and uh, throw something in there, and uh, I will try and get to it as the sort of general schedule permits. But uh, this one I think is interesting and uh, worth worth having a listen to. So, the first qu- question is: Can envy be a useful emotion like anger? Uh, yes, all emotions can can be useful. All all emotions are trying to be useful. Is envy really an emotion or just an excuse people use to explain a different emotion? Well, that's a complicated thing which I won't answer right away. Do people have a choice about whether they feel envy? In the short run, no. Uh, Whatever you feel, you feel, and fighting it is uh, like uh, uh, taking a sword to the tide. It really doesn't make any any, uh, sense and it doesn't do you any good. In fact, it does you quite a lot of harm. How can one cure one's own propensity to feel envy? Uh, that's an interesting question. The, the, the most interesting word in that uh, question to me is cure and the relationship between feelings as a kind of sickness um, and, uh, uh, or feelings as something that need to be accepted. What is the role of envy in creating and maintaining political programs? Actually, it's a light green, uh, so that one's at least easy to answer. Uh, is envy a moral sickness? Um, I think that the the words there are quite uh, strong, and uh, I'm not sure that I would go so far as to say a moral sickness, but of course it really depends on the degree. Does envy suggest a certain type of dysfunctionality within the foo or the family of origin? Uh, yes, well, absolutely, for sure. So, Envy is very interesting. I went through phases. And I was, you know, I was always a guy with fairly high abilities, and I had a terrible uh, sort of home life, and I had uh, a great degree of poverty. And my family used to be very rich, and we were the uh, the uh, the owners of vast tracts of land in Ireland, until a great grandfather, uh, no, a great great great, sorry, great grandfather decided to uh, go completely the dissolute route, and to uh, whore and drink all the money away. And then my grandfather poured the last of the remaining family fortunes into uh, my uh, father's and my four aunts' education. Uh, Somewhat of a progressive fellow for the time. And so they all got very well educated. And it has been my father's particular fetish to rebuild the family name and, and so on. And I don't view the past from that standpoint as particularly noble because we were aristocrats. It wasn't like we were healthy and productive capitalists, we were the moneyed classes, and I'm sure that if if the world spirit wanted to train me to be somebody interested in freedom, it would not put my particular abilities into the context of the aristocracy, wherein it would be quite unlikely for me to come up with the ideas that I do, so I would actually decide to put a fairly decent brain through the ringer of uh, poverty and uh, uh, loneliness and uh, uh, violence and so on, and so that that you know that brain could figure out that there's a great deal of vulnerability in life, and yet not end up with state programs because of a sensitivity to violence. So <laughs> I'm not saying the world spirit's doing a damn thing because it doesn't exist, but if you were to try and create an alchemical brew to produce a mind that was very interested in anarcho-capitalism you might do something like like that and uh, i know we've had conversations about uh, how, what brings people to anarcho capitalism but i think this one is is quite uh, uh, this one certainly worked for me and uh, perhaps it worked for other people as well but um, i had uh, terrible bouts of envy when i was in my teens in particular because i had to work sort of two two or three jobs we had my brother and I had to take in roommates just to survive because my mother was institutionalized and we were sort of left to fend for ourselves. And in sort of hindsight, I, I don't know whether the social services even thought or cared about any of this, but if they did, it was probably because they figured, eh, it's only a couple of years, we're not going to get them foster care and nobody's going to want them because they're older and so maybe we'll just let them struggle through on their own, they seem to be surviving or, you know, maybe there's somebody else who's, who'll give them money or something like that. And so I went through, I mean, in England, things weren't too, too bad. We were in sort of, my mother had a job. She was a, a secretary at a law firm, and we had subsidized housing and uh, pretty nice stuff. Um, and it wasn't bad. You know, We had a nice apartment, and uh, we each had our own room, which was nice. And uh, I lived on an estate, and it was uh, it was pleasant as far as the circumstances went. It was in a state that had a a sort of mixed bag of people. There were sort of rows around the back with people who were on welfare, but the stuff up at the front, there was sort of lower middle class and, you know, some nice people and good kids to play with and all that. And uh, this is uh, a bit of in in boarding school. When I was in boarding school, some of the kids came from enormously rich families. And in England, enormously rich means quite a different thing than it does in North America because it often means that you are a vicious social parasite of the aristocratic classes, Right. Which is considered to be very hoity toity, and there is a great deal of, uh, I guess, pushing and shoving and status displaying of your name. And I'm actually officially an esquire, although good heavens, I haven't never used it. <laughs> but, um, but there's a lot of uh, envy around that kind of stuff, and in England, is very much centered around envy of the aristocratic classes. And. I also went through, when I was in Canada, a great deal of envy for people who had more money. And when I went to visit my father in Africa when I was sixteen, I uh, well, we stayed there for quite a while, and uh, we would visit friends of his who had these enormous mansions, as people in Africa, uh, before apartheid ended, were wont to do, because you know, there was a fair amount of pillaging going on there as well, right? And I very much envied all of that. I envied the kids who had any kind of money, because all of my money went to support uh, the family, and barely any money for clothes and couldn't go out very much, and I, you know, I remember, as I think I've mentioned many podcasts ago, the vivid memory for me about all of this is I joined a swim team, and it was uh, six bucks to register, and I had to keep coming and saying that I'd forgotten it because I just didn't have the money, and so it was was a very tough time financially. I mean, I I think I've been left with a lifelong caution around money, and uh, it's hard for me to spend money on myself. Uh, I'm just always concerned about that's, you know, the wall, right? You, sort of, you can do a lot of financial juggling, but at some point you're going to hit the wall. And I sort of done that twice in my life during the teenage years. And then right at the end of my grad school, uh, I ran out of money as well. So I went through a fair amount of envy of the people who, you know, just a lot of kids in my school seem to have a lot of money. They seem to have a lot of, uh, you know, cars and they get to go on trips. And it's like, oh, there's a school trip to Russia. Hell, sign me up. And I had, uh, most of the friends that I had were fairly, their families were fairly well off with nice houses and video games and all the cool stuff. And you know, I had like nothing, <laughs> nothing. I mean, it was terrible. So I definitely went through a lot of envy and, um, a lot of dislike of that disparity because I felt that I deserved better. Um, I was working very hard in my life at that time, both to get through school and to support myself. And, uh, and so on. I was like 15 years old. So it was not the easiest uh, stroll through the park. And so all these other kids, uh, you know, kind of got up and laced around and maybe did a little bit of housework after they were nagged. And they uh, got cars for their birthdays and things like that. And I didn't do a damn thing for them. I just happened to be born into this uh, money bag. And I happened to be born into this poverty pit. And so I felt a great deal of injustice and hostility and uh, resentment. Uh, And uh, I also felt that uh, there was not a lot of sharing, right? Not a lot of sharing. And I wasn't asking for charity, but uh, there was not a lot of humility. And I sort of understand this because the world is full of false selves, right? And it's kind of tough to be born into money and to not flaunt it and to feel that you're worth something because your parents did X, Y, and Z, right? And, And so... A lot of these kids would, you know, flaunt their cars, and, and uh, I felt really frustrated because, like, on two levels. One, I wanted, I really wanted all of that stuff because I hated being at the bottom of the heap, and I hated, uh, and I felt envy and, and hostility and great desire, right? Envy is desire, sort of fundamentally. And I felt a great desire for everything that these people had, and at the same time, I hated them for flaunting it. Right, this was sort of quite quite common in my school, and you know, it's not because they're bad kids or anything. They're just brought up in the modern culture where the status symbols and all that nonsense and money is all considered to be uh, the bee's knees. Right, all the all the stuff that uh, is considered to be very valuable, and I sort of wanted it, both for the pleasure of having it. when I finally, you know, made some money and l- took up skiing, loved it as much as I imagined that I would love it. And I also, but I hated the fact that the pecking order was based on such inconsequentialities as money, right? So somebody who had some intelligence and wisdom, like myself, and I would say this is true even in my teens, there was no status value at all attached to that. It's always, it always the great problem of philosophers, right? That that the, There's no philosophers in People magazine, right? I mean, everybody's interested in uh, Britney Spears and the rapper guy she's with and uh, who's who's anorexic, and who's too thin, and how to get a bikini body, and all this kind of stuff, and nobody's interested in uh, wisdom, or truth, or virtue, or anything like that, and so I think that's more true of the modern culture than it's been for quite some time, because at least in the past, there was a sort of religious gloss, and if you were religious in, in nature, you had a uh, certain elevated... Uh, um, nature or a certain elevated status based on your sort of religious approach to things, which is more intellectual than how to get a bikini bikini body at least, right? And uh, and also there was a hostility to things of this world that was almost always used as a club by those who are religious, but uh, the sort of material objects, pursuit of material objects and status of material objects, at least there was something in society that was uh opposing that that you could sort of call on there's nothing like that left anymore now it's just all about uh, uh what what you can grab and what you can show right and and so envy is a fairly signi- it's it was a significant problem in my life and through the envy I realized that I wanted uh, material goods and I wanted material comforts that I wanted uh, and and not just because it's funny because I have money now but I don't I don't really spend it on myself I don't sort of rush out every day and buy some new trinket or toy Uh, it it takes me like six months to buy an mp3 player (laughs) now christina's helping me sort of speed this up a little bit and yesterday i had a minor breakthrough i had to buy a new pair of running shoes because mine were falling apart there was a 60 percent off sale at the store in the gym and i had a choice between one that was a hundred bucks which felt like a pair of sort of wooden clogs there was no no padding and one that was 160 bucks and uh, I actually took the $160 pair because with 60% off it turned out to be 140. Went to 80. I went to 60 bucks. So I, you know, I actually went for the more expensive thing, and uh, I'm glad that I did. But it's taken me a long time to sort of be able to do that kind of stuff. And uh, I've had sort of a decent amount of money for uh, 10, 10, years, and 12 years, and something like that. And uh, it's taken me a long time to actually buy, uh, buy stuff without feeling like uh, I better hoard. So that's been very useful for me because the envy helped to guide me towards what it is that I wanted, right? So I envied these people who had money, and so I ended up being an entrepreneur, and it wasn't like this big master plan, but when that sort of opportunity presented itself or I created that opportunity through uh, my uh, historical geeking around with computers and programming computers since I was 11 or 12, when that opportunity came along... I was ready for it, and I wanted to do it, and there, and I didn't have any resistance to it, so my entire energy of my conscious and unconscious pursued it, so envy had trained me in a little bit of a way to be ready for and to pursue material gain, whereas if I'd gotten too envious and had disowned my envy, then I would have uh, ended up with this uh, position that uh, you know, going for material gain is shallow. And then I would not have got. I would have not have taken up an entrepreneurial situation, or if I had, I would have uh, had a lot of internal resistance and turmoil about it, which would have made me much less effective as an entrepreneur. So envy can be useful. It can be like a compass, rather than sort of telling you where you want to go. And the funny thing is that um, I was envious of singers when I was younger, because I'm sort of an amateur singer, and you, when you're an amateur, you recognize just how good certain singers are relative to your own physical abilities, and sometimes, you know, just sort of plain musical abilities, and so I envied singers, and there's a funny uh, New Yorker cartoon that uh, I remember seeing many years ago, where two guys are sitting in a bar, and one of them turns to the other and says, so how's your life going, and he says, you know, it's not bad, it's not bad, but it just, it's not, it's not Sting's life. Or it could be a little bit more like Sting's or something like that. And Sting mentioned this once in an interview. Like he's got problems. He's got children problems. He's got, you know, financial problems. His accountant stole money from him. He's got all these problems. And uh, so he found it kind of funny that people would say, well, my life's just not Sting's life or something like that. And I always sort of envied these people because I thought that it would be great fun to have a microphone and reach thousands of people. Oh, wait. Uh, I guess that envy helped me too. So envy is a very useful emotion. It is a guide to what you want, but it's not necessarily a guide as to why you want it. Right? So envy will say that uh, I I I prefer money to not money, right? <laughs> and, and to some degree, right? And envy will also uh, uh, I envied the um the really handsome guys and the guys with great clothing and the guys with the cars. That was not so healthy, right? Because that would be to want all of these status symbols to attract the pretty girls and that is a pretty shallow uh, approach to relationships and doesn't lead to any kind of happiness and I saw a lot of this in my high school reunion so uh, that's not something that I would particularly feel would be a uh, would have been useful for me to pursue right that would sort of lead you to hair transplants and I don't know like working out for purely muscular uh, for for a purely muscular physique and going for the six-pack rather than you know, core conditioning and cardiovascular health, which, you know, I always figure when it comes to being a, going to the gym, just do what women do, right? Because women live like seven years longer. And so whatever women and women are doing, I'll go do that. I'll do some weights too. But uh, yeah, I go to classes with Christina and so on. It's a good thing, right? So envy is a very useful emotion. But the first thing you have to do is to admit that you're envious. You have to admit that you're envious, that you are covetous. You have to accept and admit that and not judge it immediately as a bad thing. Not judge it immediately as a bad thing. Because even the envy that I had for the studly stud muffins, the uh, the, uh, the the guys with the uh, you know, great hair and the uh, cars and the cool clothes and, and uh, rich families and so on, those guys, what I was after was the, the ability to attract a kind of beauty. And of course, I was young and shallow, so it only meant physical beauty to me at the time. But even that envy is healthy, right? Because it also led me to start working out and, you know, when I was 16 or so, which I've done sort of ever since, and so that's that's been a useful thing and a good thing in my life. It's kept me very healthy. I've never really been sick. I've never been to a hospital. Uh, I've never spent a night in a hospital. Uh, I've never broken a bone. I've never had any major ailments. I get a cold every two or three years and that's about it. I'm an enormously healthy fellow and that, that has something to do with working out since I was 16. I have a good foundation of health. So even that... Was was healthy and and productive. Um, Now, is envy an emotion or an excuse people use to explain a different emotion? Well, for sure, for sure, Uh, this is something that in psychological circles is called leveling. And leveling is, you come across somebody that you rate as superior to yourself in some manner, as as having something that you want and can't sort of immediately get, right? So I see someone who's got an ice cream, and it's like, ooh, I want an ice cream. The truck's over there. I got 10 bucks. I'm going to go buy me an ice cream. So that's not really envy. That's just like, ooh, I sparked a desire in me too. But in leveling, you meet somebody who is far better read than you are. And you have this value that being well read is a good thing, but you just haven't done it for a variety of reasons. So you run into somebody, you start chatting with them, and they, you know, you get talking about philosophy, and he's quoting all of these philosophers and history books and all this kind of stuff. And even, uh, so he doesn't appear too snobbish, throwing in a few South Park and Simpsons references. And so he's, he's got what you want, but you can't sort of go over to the ice cream truck and imbibe 20 years worth of reading. So, so what this does is it provokes an insecurity in you. And you have sort of two choices about that, right? You can either inflate, I mean, to to sort of, uh, we have a natural desire to level with people, right? This is a part of the natural desire for socialism that goes on with people. And so what happens is that you have this disparity between yourself and this other person. And what happens then is you either try and puff yourself up or you try and pull them down. And you don't even have to do this in, uh, in verbally, but it's going to happen for you for a lot of times, unless you're sort of centered it's going to happen for you psychologically and it arises out of a kind of immaturity and a lack of uh, acceptance of reality that there's going to be lots of people who have lots of different skills than you have and uh, you have skills that they don't have and uh, comparing your weaknesses against other people's strengths is always going to make you feel insecure and it's also the most fundamental illusion that we have that there is an external solution to the problem of insecurity right if i if i lose 20 pounds if i if i get that job if i date this woman if i get published in this newspaper or, or a magazine or a website if i whatever right i mean there is no external solution to the problem of insecurity it's it's an inner process to resolve insecurity and uh, it usually has to do it does have to do with actions but it's not what you think it has to do with integrity which is not getting published but uh, getting rid of corrupt people is i mean having corrupt people in your life Assuming you're not a corrupt person, in which case you're probably not listening to this. But if you have corrupt people in your life, it's the, the getting rid of them is the only thing you can do to deal with insecurity. It's not an external solution; it's an inner integrity that results in external, like your actions. But there's no, there's nothing you can grab or hold of or bring into your life or achieve that is going to solve the problem of insecurity, right? You know, sort of Howard Stern uh, is uh, gnawing his fingers every night, feeling he's doing a terrible job, and he just got half a billion dollars for his radio show. And uh, that's not how you want to live, right? You don't want every success just makes it worse, right? Because then you have more to lose, and there's always there's always uh, someone else coming up behind you, and uh, so that's that's no good, right? You don't want to be doing that. So, for uh, the first thing you have to do is accept that you feel envy, that it indicates that you want something and that you don't have it. So, if you're in the situation where you're meeting somebody who's got something that you want but don't have. And you feel, basically you feel bad, right? The first thing that you feel bad for not having it. And then you, in order to deal with that feeling, you either puff yourself up by saying, well, you know, okay, so he's maybe he's read a little bit more, but I've actually gone out and had a life. And I've, you know, uh, uh, I've I've had girlfriends. And this guy, obviously, he's never been out of his parents' basement. And you sort of puff yourself up relative to this guy. Simultaneous to that, and usually inevitable is pulling the other person down, right? So if you rate yourself a 2 and you rate the other guy a 10 in some category, that you know, inner, inner uh, th- and this occurs at an unconscious level, right? So you feel there's a gap in terms of value, well, you're going to puff yourself up to 8 and you're going to pull the guy down to 6 or something, because usually you overcompensate in this area, so that's not particularly healthy, and if you've done that a number of times or you start to do that more in an unjust way, then you are going to end up uh, being uh, uh the emotion is not going to help you it 's going to turn you sort of mean and bitter, and it 's going to turn you into a, like somewhat of a hateful kind of person right who 's just constantly grumbling about everyone else in their life as opposed to openly doing it in say a podcast, which is very different so um that 's important to uh to go with me on that yeah okay let 's do that now do you have a choice about whether you feel envy? no of course not you don 't have any choice about whether you feel envy in the short run. Because whatever feelings you have are useful information that's trying to help you that comes from your unconscious, right? So emotions are very helpful from that standpoint. They're always trying to point you in the right direction, assuming that you haven't corrupted them through the kind of uh, viciousness and uh, mental ugliness that I talked about before. Assuming that you haven't corrupted your emotions so now that you're entirely false self and everything you do is simply to defend the false self position, uh, then uh, you know, everything that you feel is, is valuable. And of course, even if you're mostly false self or all false self, simply accepting envy rather than trying to manage it by downgrading others or inflating your own ego artificially, simply accepting envy will be the first step towards your true self, right? Just accepting your feelings rather than trying to manage them through mental attitudes is the first step towards the true self. So how can you cure your own propensity to feel envy? Well, you accurately identify the desire that envy is based on, and then you go and achieve it. Or you get rid of the desire. And you can't get rid of the desire like you just sort of unplug it from your brain. But if you have a desire for, I don't know, going out with the the hottest chicken at the gym class or something, then give it a shot and, uh, you know, chat with her. And if she's like a mean person, then that will help cure you of your desire to go out with her. At least you'll get a chance to sort of focus on why you want these status symbols, which will always lead you back to the false self and always lead you back to, uh, uh, early harm in your childhood and continual harm from those around you. So, uh, you, this, so you sort of use it, right? That's how you deal with it. And once you deal with those issues, then you won't feel, uh, I- as much uh, insecurity and, uh, which, which generally arises from having values that you act in opposition to, right? a so basic insecurity. Once you resolve that, then you won't feel the insecurity. So you won't need to stay the status symbol. So you won't be necessarily as attracted to the hottest chick in the class or whatever, so you'll have a chance to deal with other people who, and actually judge them by their personalities, right, because you want true self to true self, whereas being attracted to just a hot chick is uh, uh, is not a, uh, a basic value, it's a biological value, and we all have those feelings, nothing wrong with those, but it's you know not something you act on, right, I mean, I see a, uh, a pretty jewel in a storefront window, I don't grab it and run, right, I actually tunnel in from below, but that's another story. Uh, What has been the role of envy in creating and maintaining political programs? Well, of course, envy is one of the basics of politics, right? I mean, uh, uh, what you do to provoke, to turn envy into hatred, you say that uh, um, all disparities are unjust, right? So that turns envy into hatred, and that's why there was so much hatred unleashed in in, uh, leveling systems like socialism and, and communism in particular. So you say that you're poor because his father stole from your father, right? I mean, this is how you turn envy into hatred, right? So, uh, this is something that is used in the minority communities and black community in particular in the United States. So, you know, blacks are generally poorer than whites and suffer more violence, more drug addiction, more incarceration and so on. And, so of course, blacks feel envy towards the stability and relative wealth of other communities. And, I'm sort of talking about American blacks, not, uh, East African blacks uh, come and have a higher per capita income than whites right so it's not just sort of black white thing it's more the legacy thing and so what you do is you say well the only reason that the whitey has any money is because he stole from you and then you from from your forefathers and so on and you then you turn envy which can be healthy saying you know i want me some of that i, I don't want to face the greatest danger for life of other people from my ethnic community with guns and i don't want to see half my people go to jail, and I don't want to see all these single families. I want what the whiteys have, right? Certain whiteys, I guess. (laughs) And so that can be helpful, right? So then you, you know, when you have envy, you say, well, how did you do it, right? You sort of go over to a whitey and say, well, what's the story with all this not being in jail thing and uh, not shooting each other and having more stable families? And, you know, that seems like a good thing. Perhaps you could uh, clue me into that a little. That would be excellent, right? So envy can be very helpful. Uh, My uh, ex-boss Uh, had a fantastic style of negotiation. I really envied his ability to work through these negotiations and to analyze sales opportunities, so what did I do? I kept saying to him, well, uh, what are the principles that you're using? How are you analyzing this? Help me understand it. I envied what he had, so I wanted to get me some of it, so I asked about it. But, you know, if I'd sort of believed that the only reason that he was able to negotiate this way was because he'd been trained to negotiate and he'd gone to these expensive classes and the only reason he was able to do that was that he'd stolen from my forefathers and so on, then I'm going to feel a lot of resentment. And it's going to be a lot harder for me to go and ask him, uh, gee, how did you do that? that was, that's kind of cool, right? I mean, that's great. So uh, that, uh, you're turning envy into hatred is a you know, basic part of the political process. That's why people um, get the impression that people are rich because other people are poor, right? So the first world is rich because the third world is poor. And you know, Warren Buffett is rich because there's a bunch of people living in trailer parks. And you know, this zero sum game, this fantasy that there's a fixed amount of money in the world. And whoever has more is taking it from someone. And all this kind of stuff, right? So what happens is you create infighting and you create hostility, and then the government comes along to redistribute income, right? Like it was sort of originally distributed, right? Like vocal cords, right? Everyone has a, most people have a vocal cord and it wasn't like there was a big pile of vocal cords that got inserted into people based on random distribution and Celine Dion and Freddie Mercury just happened to luck out. The rest of us uh, didn't. No, this is what you're born with, right? And you're born with your capacity to create wealth and so on. It It doesn't get distributed to you, I guess, other than by blind chance and DNA, which is not distribution at all. Is envy a moral sickness? No, no, it's just a feeling. Envy is not a... Uh, actions, really, are... Corruption occurs in the mind, evil occurs in the actions, and uh, moral sickness? No, I would not say so. It can become pathological when it turns to hatred and resentment, and that definitely is dysfunctional, and uh, it can be corrupt, right? The, the ideas can be corrupted if you uh, end up brooding and, and being miserable, and then you have you know corrupted ideas, right? In the same way that sort of, cancer can corrupt your lungs, right? So, I would not say that envy is a moral sickness, a uh, pathological envy that's not accepted that turns to hatred and resentment. Yeah, I would say so, but uh, envy is not a bad thing at all, and uh, can be, as I said, a sort of guide about where you should go in life. Does envy suggest a certain type of dysfunctionality within the family of origin? Absolutely. Absolutely, totally, completely, and utterly. Um. It comes in its fundamentals from not being taught values and not being loved for uh, exhibiting those values and not being taught in terms of self-interest, right? Not being taught to, to act in terms of self-interest, but being taught to act for a uh, blind conformity masked by a false argument for morality, right? So your parents always tell you and your teachers always tell you to to, to obey because... It's bad not to obey. You're a bad person if you don't obey. You you only bad people talk back to the teachers. Only bad people cause commotions in class when the class has been going on and is really, really boring and uh, the teacher's not putting any effort in and you get restless and you're thirteen and you make a joke or a fart noise because you just need to have a giggle. No, no, no. That's evil. That's bad. The only bad people do that you should I mean evil nasty you know, all that kinda of club that's used and don't you disrespect your father? And I mean all this kind of stuff that goes on. It's all about an argument for morality, right? Disrespect is bad, and uh, you know, uh, you know, obeying your teacher is good, and all this kind of stuff, right? It's never the onus is never on the teacher or the parents to motivate you, right? It's just like the bad employer, right? This is where all this stuff comes from. Right? And the bad employer just says, "Just uh, just finish the code, god damn it! You know, just do the right. Just go and go and close some deals, right?" I mean, it's like like. Why why are deals not being closed, and why is code not being finished on time? Well, maybe the specs are bad. Maybe people are promising too much to the clients. Maybe the product needs to be redesigned. It's in a bad market, right? There's no curiosity. People just snap at people, tell them what to do, and uh, use an argument for morality, right? A, a good employee would do X. Uh, you're a bad employee because you don't close deals or you don't finish your code. Well, all of this stuff is uh, results in, in a, a lot of envy because what's happening is you yourself are being trained to conform and you are being trained to judge yourself according to external approval, according to external approval for shallow things. And so that is going... And there's always going to be people who have more status than you, right? Always, always going to be people that you can envy, right? There's always, always, always... There's always going to be people who are better at you, even at what you're specializing in. And so, you, I mean, it's like wealth, right? Bill Gates won. No one's going to catch up. And so don't bother, right? I mean, forget about it. And even Bill Gates is concerned about keeping his wealth and the value of his company is slowing down and the growth in it is slowing down. So even he's worried about all that kind of stuff. And so even Bill Gates is not content with his level of wealth. And so, and then he's worried about what do I do with all this wealth? How can I put it to the greatest good? And because he's uh, Bought into this silly altruistic stuff. He's giving it away rather than creating jobs, which is, you know, would be a hell of a lot better. And what he's better at. The same with Warren Buffett. When he's given 37 billion dollars away, it's like, dude, invest in some companies. You know, create some jobs. <laughs> Forget about giving all this money away. You invest in jobs, and you will be uh, doing a whole lot better to the people whose that you create jobs for, and uh, all of the peripheral economies, and uh, yeah, really good things will come out of it. A general increase in the wealth of society pouring money into the third world without fixing the political problems, you might as well just have a big bonfire and set fire to the fiat money, because uh, it actually would be better to just set the bonfire, because then you wouldn't be funding the dictators. So, I hope that this has been helpful. Envy is a very interesting emotion. Like all emotions, uh, it uh, has its, or- its origins in the true self are very helpful when it gets hijacked by the false self and turned against uh, any authentic feeling, usually by being redirected. Like you turn uh, envy into hatred or into... Uh, or you subsume envy into uh, an anti-materialism because you can't handle the feelings. Well, the first thing you do always is accept your feelings. And yes, you trace all of these things back to the foo. The reason that we're insecure is because we were loved dependent on our level of uh, approval from our parents, and that approval was masked in morality, and so uh, can't be judged objectively, and um, was conditional upon their particular feelings at the time. So it it rose and it fell and it was there and then it was not there and they were then were snappy and then they were positive and so we basically get a core instability from trying to please our parents, which every child is drawn to do by uh, the nature of being a child, and that uh, results in a um, core instability that people try and shore up through status symbols and that creates a great deal of envy and that's sort of a it's a big economic driver too, though it's not a very productive one at all. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it as always. Uh, Please come by and donate. Uh, I uh, look forward every day to checking to see if there are donations, and I can't tell you the thrill that it gives me uh, when I get some money, uh, partly because it's nice to see the numbers in the PayPal account, and also, of course, because it means that people are valuing what it is that I do, which gives me a great deal of pleasure in doing it, relative to uh, not getting money and feeling that it's not valuable what I'm doing. So I appreciate donations. And also, uh, the feed burner thing, sign up for that. People are signing up. Uh, we're getting good. Steady trickle numbers are getting very good. I appreciate that. And uh, the listener survey, too, if you could fill that out. I would be forever grateful. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon.